the minister as crisis counselor was one of the most helpful courses that I took while in the Baptist Seminary here in Richmond. My professor was Dr. Dan Bagby. Many of you know Dr. Bagby, have heard him speak. He's been here a number of times over the years. And I will always remember a piece of advice that he gave us in that class. He said, only schedule two-thirds of your day because ministry will surely fill up the other third. Don't schedule more than two-thirds of your day because the unexpected will happen. This is what we would call living with margin, breathing room, the space between our load and our limits. And Dr. Bagby was trying to help us young seminary students who are getting ready to go out into the church work or chaplaincy or further our uh, education to be sure that we had margin. Dr. Bagby's wisdom has been spot on time and again. You just, we just never know what crisis situation will emerge from one day to the next. For example, this past Thursday, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, I was in my study here at church working on my sermon. And when I'm in my study, I have a little yellow post-it note that I put on the door to let folks know I'm working on a sermon or doing other thinking kind of preparation. And just to check in at the office, if there's something urgent, they'll let me know. Well, sure enough, I get a knock on the door, and one of our staff came in and said, I'm sorry, Pastor Bob, to interrupt your study time, but it's urgent. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Somebody's been taken to the hospital, or perhaps there's been a death in the church. And she said, Pastor, our delivery of toilet paper is delayed. Houston, we have a problem. We may not be able to get through Sunday, Pastor Bob. Thankfully, I got a message the next day that the problem had been rectified. Mission accomplished. While this story is funny, it presents the reality that most of us uh, are presented with interruptions every day. Some are urgent and others are not. The problem is that, and this is something that I struggle with on a daily basis, is that often we don't have enough margin in our lives to deal with the unexpected. I am, temp I am prone to fill my calendar and not listen to what Dan Bag Dr. Dan Bagby said. And these are reminders that I, we have to take a step back and pray that God would help us to build margin in your schedule. Otherwise, we can often feel ineffective and unproductive and defeated because we aren't able to get through and complete the things that really matter the most. And this causes us stress. And in the first sermon in this message series, we said that stress is our body's physiological response to the stressors in life. Our body responds with adrenaline and other chemicals that are um, 
put out in our brains so that we would be able to have the energy and the strength to fight or flight. It's, it's something God wired us with and then settle back down to whatever that normal is. But when we are constantly go, 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 filling our schedule to the full, we live a stressful life. We are often worried about what we didn't get done that day and about all of the stuff we got to do tomorrow. Knowing that Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow, for today has enough worries of its own. Matthew 6.34. My hope is that this message series called The Stressless Life is helpful to remind us that it's possible to live without stress, but with God's unshakable peace, we can live with less stress. The big idea for us today, you heard echoed in the first reading from Exodus, the fourth commandment, that God designed us to rest, to remember the Sabbath, and to keep it holy. In today's message, we're going to reflect on some of these teachings and seek God's help to live with margin in our schedule. With God's help, we will be able to live in such a way today that will help us to thrive tomorrow. Live today with margin that enables us to thrive tomorrow. There's an ancient proverb that says, if you want to know what the water is, the fish are the last thing to ask. Just as fish can't define what they're swimming in, neither can we. You and I swim in time. So to understand what time is, we must look beyond ourselves. In the words of Oz Guinness, if we are to master time, we must come to know the author of time, the meaning of time, and the part God calls us to play in God's grand story. God being the author of time. In Scripture, God's words tells us that the author of time became flesh and became fully human. John 1.14. In the message paraphrase of this passage, Eugene Peterson says it this way, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. If you think about it, when God came to earth in the human form of Jesus, he experienced the same day-to-day challenges as you and me. Jesus, as you know, was the son of a carpenter and was in the carpentry business. He had a business to run. He had a mother and a father to care for, hunger to manage, and even had the need to rest and sleep. Jesus faced the same 24-hour time constraint that we do. Jesus couldn't be at two places at the same time. When God came to earth in the incarnation in human form, God chose to limit God's self in Christ and even could not be in two places at once. Pastor Tim Keller says, being, besides being vulnerable, subject to injury and death, Jesus had the limitations of being confined to one place 
at one time. Like you and me, Jesus had an had a finite amount of time to finish the work his heavenly father gave him to do. And he was painfully aware of this. He knew, Jesus did, that his clock was ticking. Jesus said in John 9, 4, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. In today's second reading from Luke's gospel, we meet up with Jesus in a village called Bethany. The setting is the house where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus lived. And Jesus knew that his earthly clock was ticking. In the previous chapter, that's in Luke 10, in Luke 9, verse 51, the New Revised Standard Updated says that Jesus had set his face to Jerusalem meaning that his cross was drawing nearer each moment. So there he is in Bethany. Bethany is a small village on the lower slope of the eastern ridge of the Mount of Olives, about two miles east of Jerusalem, if you look at Bible map in the back of your Bible. The name Bethany is derived from the Hebrew Bethananiah, which means house of the poor and afflicted. Beth meaning house and Ananiah, poor and afflicted. So there he is at this in this village uh, in a home where he was frequently invited to stay as a guest. Most of the commentators agreed that, Mar- uh, that Martha owned the home and that Mary and Lazarus, her siblings, lived with her there. The Gospel of John also confirms that they all were there together. That was a significant place for Jesus in his ministry. He could lay his head at night. It was sort of a base there very close to Jerusalem. John reports in chapter 11 of his Gospel that Bethany is where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And in John chapter 12, Jesus is in Bethany six days before the Passover. Martha, as was her custom, served the meal, John tells us, and Mary took an entire pint of expensive perfume and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. You remember that story that Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was the treasurer or carried the money bag, was critical of Mary for doing that, saying that she could have taken that perfume and sold it and done something better to help the poor. And Jesus criticized him or rebuked him and said, what she has done was intended to anoint me for my burial. What Mary did was very significant in this last week of the life of Jesus. So Bethany is very important in Jesus' ministry and then we'll, we'll go back into Luke's gospel and read this account in chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, and we'll make some comments along the way. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. 
But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. A few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus and the disciples had come, as they had done before, to be present, to have rest, to have a meal. And there are the two sisters. Lazarus is not mentioned in this particular story, but the two sisters are there. And you can just imagine Martha was more inclined to be a doer, uh, uh, one who was very much about hospitality. And so she is doing all of the preparations while Mary, her sister, is seated at the feet of Jesus. Very important to understand what Mary was doing. And it's also important to remember that I believe both of the sisters did that. Uh, in verse 39, it says, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Uh, the, the literal Greek says, who also sat at the Lord's feet. The implication here is both Martha and Mary were disciples of Jesus and both sat at the Lord's feet. It wasn't just Mary. But Martha was more inclined to be about hospitality. She was wired up that way. So there she goes into the kitchen to make preparations. Also very important for us to remember that back in the day, it was not, quote, appropriate for the average rabbi to be in the presence of women. They were in a separate room. It would only have been men who were allowed to be seated at the feet of a rabbi to receive teaching. But there is Mary, and we understand also Martha, seated at the feet of Jesus. And this shows us the way that Jesus was continually breaking barriers to say that these women are just as valuable as these men in my ministry. So remember that we don't want to put Mary and Martha against one another, but we just want to learn how they're different and how we might apply that to our lives as we seek to build margins. I think one of uh, the, the ways I, I see this playing out here is Martha, as I, as I study, seemed to have overdone it, the, the preparations. And, and perhaps Jesus is saying, Martha, just one dish would have been perfectly fine. You, you didn't need to overdo. I know there are times when we've had company at our house and we pull out all the stops. And they're late at night, we're washing china and crystal and all of that. And I'm like, honey, did, you know, that, this was a lot of effort. Uh, and, you know, may, maybe, maybe it's, it's just too much work. You know, sometimes it's joyful to do that, but sometimes we don't need to be as complicated maybe. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say to Martha. Only one thing would have been enough. And then Martha, she's anxious about all of this, and, and she, she had told Jesus, given him an imperative, 
tell her to help me. And and Jesus said, Martha, you're you're worried. Remember the wor- word worried comes from the Greek word that means the divided or distracted mind. Uh, Martha, you're worried about so many things. Few things are really needed, or indeed only one. Something simple, and then also the only one, Jesus is pointing Martha back to the most important thing, and that is we all need to spend time at the feet of Jesus. To ask God to help us build margin in our lives, to overcome the distractions that we face, to say no to even good things so that we can say yes to the best. And so I have some questions and then a few helps today. If you're taking notes, maybe you'll jot some helps down as you go through your week. My question, and this is for me, is am I regularly spending time at the feet of Jesus? Is that, is that a priority in my day, every day? Does our schedule in, include time with Jesus, or is our schedule built around Jesus? Think about that. Is our schedule dictated by what's urgent, or are we prone to overdo, or it is, is it designed around what's important? And important gets at our value system. Are we willing to say no to good things so that we can say yes to the most important things, often that align up with our values? That's where this key verse comes in where Jesus says, Mary has chosen what's better. Not to devalue at all hospitality. That's critically important, as you know. But the most, the number one most important thing that we Christians can be about is spending time at the feet of Jesus. Our hospitality, our love of friends and neighbor, and all of the ministries flow out of our being with Jesus, at the feet of Jesus. So our our four application helps for us. The first one today has to do with how we can experience God's unshakable peace in our schedule. How can we incorporate this into our schedule? And the uh, first is to establish our daily rhythm with Jesus. To reduce stress in our lives, it's critically important to spend daily time with Jesus. Remember that Jesus is a person. He's not a book or a set of rules or guidelines or principles or a machine. Jesus is a person, and he desires that we are intentional to order our day around him. Maybe you're a morning person, and this happens in the morning for you, or perhaps in the evening. What? Whatever works with you. For me, it's early in the morning. And I spend time uh, in prayer and having some silence, reading scripture. And I personally enjoy Jesus Calling devotional book by Sarah Young. I read that uh, religiously. But whatever works for you, but the point is to have that regular time every day. 
And then second, build your hour schedules around what's most important. During the day, that we would try to focus on our priorities and block time off for them so that our main priorities aren't edged out by things that are distractions. Our most important things mean our values or our core priorities. If you're, it's in, if you're working, it's what are the goals and objectives that you have on a regular basis in your job. There's a great little book called The Tyranny of the Urgent by Charles Hummel, written back in the 60s, and a number of others, in, in, including Stephen Covey, have taken his Tyranny of the Urgent and created a little grid out of it, and I've got it on the screen for you. You can look that up online, and uh, I'd be happy to talk with you further, but he helps us to think about what's most important and then to reflect on what's urgent or not urgent. Last week, important and urgent was the toilet paper was late, and we may not have any for Sunday. Now, that was a crisis that had to be dealt with at that time. Often, there might be a medical situation or some a deadline that you weren't aware of, and, and that moves into the urgent and important category number one. But Hummel and others say that we mostly should spend our time in what's important and not urgent. That's box two, the ongoing things of building relationships and focusing on our values and so forth. Box three is down below in the not important and urgent. And these are distractions, uh, cell phone notifications, and other kinds of interruptions that can derail our priorities. And then the fourth is the not important and not urgent. And I would say that's where you just want to binge watch something to kill time, right? Or needlessly scrolling through social media. That's that bottom number four quadrant. So my, my hope is that this, although it's not in depth, but can help us to think about our priorities and ordering our day, building in margins so that we focus on what's most important. And third, the two others are fairly quick. The third is create margin for God and others. Jesus was a master at allowing himself margin, not only to go away and pray, to be alone, to rest, but Jesus also built in margin that he was able to be interrupted for ministry. Those God moments. When a woman comes up to him as he's walking down the street and touches the hem of his garment, she had been suffering from an issue of blood for 12 years, and he stopped and ministered to her. And there are many other examples. That's just one where he allowed himself to be interrupted. When we are reflective on this kind of margin, thinking Sabbath built into our day, faith, it enables us to be open to what God brings to us that might be unexpected. And then fourth is, is establish an accountability loop. Is, is there one or are there one or two folks that you trust, Christian uh, leaders or Christian sisters and brothers, that can help you and me to be accountable to living with margin and that we can share when we're having 
challenges and we receive help and guidance from prayer, I encourage you and me to have those kind of people around us. So ultimately, we want to live in such a way that we are available to God, that it is possible for us to do the most important things and allow God's grace to uh, let the others wait, but also to have margin that we are available for God, to have unprogrammed time throughout the day that we are able to rest and reflect. Because being useful to God, as one writer says, is a large part of what life is meant to be. They say that it is, uh, usefulness is nine-tenths availability. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, and I'll close with this, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will constantly, will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We must not assume that our schedule is our own to manage, but allow it to be arranged 